0: A um, couple of you were with us last week, actually not a couple, it was full, but um, if you were with us last week, you heard us talk about the idea that we're, we're trying to move towards or uh, step into or organize ourselves as a church around ways that we believe God actually works in the scriptures, like how do we see God actually working and stepping into that. So uh, we actually did the thing, what we call Community Sunday, three weeks ago. Uh, last week, we actually talked about why we did it the week before that, and then this week we'll talk about um, kind of stepping into, I don't, I don't want to call it phases, like but just another aspect of that, like being the body of Christ. So that's going to come at the end of today's service. But this morning, when we start, we're going to finish Exodus chapter 32. It's a story that's taken us uh, a couple weeks now. Uh, I apologize if you haven't been with us. Uh, We're kind of jumping into the middle of a story. I'm going to give you kind of the brief rundown to catch you up to speed, but we're not going to spend most of our time doing that. We're going to spend most of our time at the end. So uh, that's why things look a little bit different this morning, but uh, it's not going to be as weird as you may think as you're starting. So here we go. Exodus chapter 32. Uh, We're not going to start till verse 25. So like I said, page 42, kind of bottom left there, uh, if you got one of our Bibles. In the book of Exodus, we have the story of God producing a people. Uh, He's in this process. He led them out of slavery, brought them to Mount Sinai, which he called his holy mountain. He's in the process of making a covenant with them so that he can dwell among them and be their God. So when the book of Exodus starts, we just have this family heading into Egypt. When the book of of Exodus ends, we have a people of God whom God wants to dwell among. Um, and so Exodus is the process of how that happens. So um, as God is making this covenant with the people, the the leader of God's people, Moses, has gone up on the mountain to meet with God. God is uh, giving Moses the instructions for what we will call the tabernacle or the tent of meeting so that he can dwell among and live with his people. Moses left his brother Aaron, uh, who is the high priest, in charge while he went. So Aaron's in charge of the people. And uh, while Moses is up on the mountain, the people lose their minds a little bit, or a lot bit. Uh, They make a golden statue. They start this party. They start eating and drinking and breaking loose, whatever that means in the Hebrew. Smart people tell me, uh, well, that I've read, uh, say that's probably some sort of sexual sin publicly. Um, So Moses comes down the mountain, and he's like, what is going on here? And there's a lot more detail than that in the account. We read it Uh, like I said, a couple weeks in a row. But we're going to pick it up in verse 25. Before I read this, I'm going to point out that there's enough detail in this section that we will get kind of the gist of what happened. But you kind of need to read through the whole chunk to go back and be like, oh, this helps me understand that. And and so there's some information at the end that's going to help us as we go through. So I'm going to read the whole chunk. It's kind of a big chunk, just so you're warned. Not Super crazy. But here we go. Exodus 32, verse 25. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and that day about three thousand men of the people of Israel fell. And Moses said, today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each, of you, each one at the cost to his son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing on you this day. And the next day Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord, and perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people have sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf, the one that Aaron made. So Moses came down the mountain. There's a golden calf. He seems to have destroyed it. Uh, He seems to put an end to the eating and drinking and sexual immorality, whatever's going on there. what they were calling the feast to Yahweh. And then Moses makes this clear distinction in verse 26. If you're on Yahweh's side, come to me, okay? So it doesn't seem to be like a little group of people He's like, hey guys, if you're down with Yahweh, come over here. It was like a public declaration if you're on Yahweh's side, if you're done with the golden calf thing, if you recognize this was a bad idea, we never should have done this, come to me. If you're out on sexual sin, out on golden calf, out on doing things our own way, here's your chance to publicly make that known, come over here. So it doesn't tell us everybody who came to him, but it does tell us that the sons of Levi, Levi was one of the 12 tribes, so these members of the 12th tribe of Levi, uh, were part of the gathering, were the, the men from that tribe, okay? It just says we were. they were there, the sons of Levi were there. It doesn't say they were the only ones that were there. I personally think there's probably quite a few of the people there because, like I said earlier, of the information we get later. My guess is most of the people ended up coming to Moses at that point and then Moses says, Go to and fro from the gate, and he says, Go kill the people, the certain group of people. Okay, he says, Brothers, sons, neighbors. He's not saying that, like, hey, just go find your brother and kill him. But he is saying, like, there are a criteria of people that are going to die for this sin. The consequences of this sin are going to be that they lose their lives. And it shouldn't inhibit you from carrying out the consequences of that sin if this person is your brother or your neighbor or your potential friend. So the sons of Levi go out, strap on their swords, and they kill those people who apparently didn't come to the Lord's side when Moses said, come to me. So there's some people who don't come to him. And that seems to be the people that they go out and they experience these consequences. And then in verse 30, Moses tells the people that are left, you have sinned a great sin. Okay, so the 3,000 people who died were not all of the people who sinned. Those 3,000 people have already died for their sins in verse 30 when Moses said To those who are left, you've sinned a great sin. So put all these, I know there's kind of pieces from different parts of the the verses, but put all this together. Moses is out there. If you read the whole chunk, Moses out there, he says, If you're on the Lord's side, come to me. Some group of people comes to him, right? Some group of people doesn't come to him. And he turns to those Levites that are with the group of people that came to him and said, Hey. This, this this can't go on. These people who are breaking loose sexually, worshiping the golden calf, living in idolatry, there's consequences to that. They don't get to be a part of the, of the people of God. They need to die for their sins. So Moses sends out the sons of Levi. They kill the people. It's 3,000 people. Now, 3,000 people is a lot in the grand scheme of things. Uh, but if you're talking about percentage of the population, it's actually a tiny percentage of the population. So it's not like everybody died, okay? 3,000 people out of the 2 to 2.5 million people that are wandering through the desert is not a huge percentage. In fact, if you do the math out and you do the ratios and stuff, it would be as if 274 people in the city of Spokane died for their sin, okay? So if you're like 274 people, you're like, oh yeah, that's okay. That's not like everybody, but it's not nobody, right? So that's a, kind of the ratio we're doing dealing with here. It's a thing, but it's not common. It's not a large portion of the people. In fact, it's a fraction of 1% of the people. And after these people die, Moses still says to the people, you have sinned a great sin. So what makes the most sense when I read this is lots of people repented, came to the Lord's side when Moses said, if you're on the Lord's side, come to me. And a few people didn't, and it, in the people of God, that's a problem. There's there's consequences to not choosing to do what the Lord has called you to do. There's this group of people left, people who engage in this broken, corrupt form of worship. And I don't know what, what uh, it seems like if only 3,000 died for their sin, then this is a huge group of people. But they either engaged in this, form of worship of some sort, or they at least allowed it to happen, and there has to be some sort of repentance that's taking place here, right? There has to be some sort of recognition, like, hey, we shouldn't have done this, right? There's this opportunity when Moses says, if you're on the Lord's side, come over here. There's this public acknowledgement of, like, that was not good, guys. We shouldn't have done that. Like, we were way outside our boundaries there, right? Later on, the New Testament will call that confession and repentance, and it's been a regular part, a normal part of being the people of God since the beginning of the people of God in the book of Exodus. Confession and repentance. Yeah, I shouldn't have done that. Not, not just, hey, I got a thing I got to do. No, this specific thing I should not have done. And, and publicly confess and repent of that. And Moses then says, yes, you repented. Yes, you stopped doing the thing that you shouldn't have done. But there's still stuff that needs to be atoned for. He says, I'm going to go up on the mountain and see if I can make atonement. So the thing you repented of, yes, you stopped doing it. And you said you're not going to do it anymore. But it still needs to be made right before Yahweh. Like if you broke the law, let's say you were speeding. Okay, you're speeding. You're going way too fast. You go off the road and you crash into somebody's house. Okay, and the cops show up and like, what are you doing? You're like, you know what? I thought that was a good idea to go so fast. I realize now that was a terrible idea. I am no longer gonna speed. I recognize I shouldn't have sped. I'm not gonna speed in the future. In fact, I am so committed to this, I'm going to go around and tell other people that speeding is a terrible idea. What's the cop gonna say? They may say, Oh good, I'm glad you learned your lesson. See you later. No! He's not going to say that. Like, you ran into somebody's house. It's got to get fixed, right? Not only you got to pay for the house, but then there's some legal requirements here. Like, you are speeding. You were breaking the law. There's a judicial system that causes us to say that you are guilty, and that has to be atoned for. That's what that word means, right? Right? It's not that you stopped doing the thing or that you decided to not do it any longer or you said it was a bad idea. That's all good and great. That's in confession and repentance. But there's still consequences. There's still a judicial verdict of guilty against you that needs to be dealt with. There's a penalty that needs to be paid. That would be atonement. It's not that you just stop doing the bad thing and then acknowledge you shouldn't have done it. And then that gets you back into right standing with God. That's not how it works. I wish it was, right? You can't punch somebody in the face and be like, you know what? I shouldn't have done that. Can we be friends again? Like, you just punched me. Like, there's gotta be some sort of relational reconciliation before that has to take place. So when the 3,000 people die... It's not like Moses says, glad we got all the bad apples out, now we can fix everything. No, Moses said there was still sin in this group of people. You engaged in it or you allowed it to happen. You recognize that was wrong, but there still is atonement that needs to be made before God. We're not in right standing before God. So that's when we get to verse 31. It says, Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people have sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of the book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, I will send my angel before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. So Moses goes up before the Lord and Moses says, I know the people messed up really bad. I get it. I'll take the punishment for what the people did. Block me out of your book. Let them live, which is a beautiful picture. It's awesome. It's unbelievably selfless and uh, loving for Moses to do that. And it's this incredible picture of exactly what Jesus did. He took the punishment, the legal requirement of the law that called us guilty. He was the atoning sacrifice for the people to get the people back in right standing before the God, before our God. It's not that there's no longer consequences. It's that Jesus took the penalty that we deserved. It's an incredible picture. And I do want to point this out while we're here. Every single person who will end up in heaven will end up in heaven for the exact same reason. And this is the reason. They believe that God made atonement to forgive their sin. So if you were an Old Testament person from back here, You didn't know his name or that he would die on a cross, but you did know that he was coming because God promised the Savior. God promised that Savior would come, that God promised that Savior would save you, and you were looking forward to the promise of that coming Savior, okay? Now, if you're in 2023, we look backwards to that Savior who came. His name is Jesus. But we were all looking to the same Savior to atone for our sin, which is pretty cool because here's what's crazy about this. That means Jesus' death on the cross paid for their sin, and it paid for your sin, and it paid for my sin, all at the same time, okay? So the same sacrifice on the cross atoned for the golden calf thing in Exodus 32, and it atoned for the dirty word you used this morning when the guy cut you off on the way here. Because you were already mad because it was so cold and you couldn't feel your fingers. And you're like, and you're driving like an idiot, right? So those same two things got atoned for at the cross of Jesus, right? The same action paid for my sin when I yelled at my kids this week because I was hungry and for the golden calf. Like, that same thing. That's awesome. That draws us all together in what the Bible calls the body of Christ. That's the connection that we all have. We're all on level ground. We all need the same thing. There is a condition, however, look at verse 32, when Moses says, I will take the punishment, okay? So, yes, the sacrifice of Jesus paid for all of it. There is a condition to getting the sacrifice of Jesus, though, okay? Moses says, I want to pay for their sin. And God says, no, God won't let him do it. God says, nope, individuals will take care of their own sin. You sin, you get blotted out of my book. That's the way it works. And then God says this weird thing. In the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them which is weird. We'll talk about that in a second. But make sure we get this first. There's an individual responsibility. Each person has to answer for their own sin, okay? I don't answer for your sin. You don't answer for my sin. God will deal with individual hearts, and God also says, I'm not dealing with it today, but there's a time in the future when I come visit We'll deal with it then. So the picture, I picture this actually. This is funny in my mind. Moses comes back down the mountain. The people are like, what'd God say? And Moses is like, I tried to make a deal for you guys. And they're like, did the deal work? And Moses is like, God said I can't make a deal for you. Each of you got to go talk to him on your own. Everybody's got to talk to him on their own. I, I tried to like help you guys, like oh, I'll cover for them. And God was like, nope, they got to talk to me. Each individual gets to talk to me on their own. And then he said he's coming to visit. I mean, that's the ultimate, like, wait till your dad gets home moment, right? It's like, I tried to make atonement for you. Uh, He said he's coming to visit, and we'll talk about it then. It's like, "Ah, I'm sorry, right? (laughs) But plot twist, God then becomes a man, dies on the cross to make atonement for your sin and my sin, so that if you confess and repent and come to him, he will atone for your sin. Now now the sin doesn't just magically go away, there's physical consequences, there's a plague that happens at the end of this chapter, and then in the future, Jesus has to give his life as the atonement to fix the broken relationship with Yahweh. So it's a really big deal, but I want you to see that it all happens like it always has with individuals confessing and repenting and coming to God on their own for forgiveness. Jesus doesn't offer a, va- a family plan. Like he's not Verizon. Like you don't bundle in safe, <laughs> right? Like you don't get into heaven because of my faith and I don't get into heaven because of your faith and you don't even get into heaven because you come to a church of people who have faith right? That's, that's not how it works. You have to deal with God on your own sin. And when you come to God and you beg for his mercy and you accept the gift that his son gave you by dying on the cross for the atonement for your sin, then he allows you confession and repentance and regenerates you into new life and your sin is atoned for. Here, where Moses tried to pay for the whole thing himself, right, God wouldn't let him. So he couldn't Be like, hey, good news, everybody. I made a deal for you. It's all good. Don't worry about it anymore. That's not the gospel, okay? The gospel isn't like, hey, I said a thing. Me and God talked. You're good. That's not the gospel. The gospel is, hey, guys, God is merciful and gracious and loving and kind, and he will forgive your sin and wants to forgive your sin, but you got to go talk to him about it. You, you got to do that work with him on your own. I can't do it for you. Nobody can do it for you. And you can't presume that it'll just go away. You can't just feel bad and be like, ah, oh, that's probably good enough. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. Yeah, oh, we're good. The people felt bad here, right? The people felt bad. That's why they came to Moses. When Moses was like, hey, Lord, if you're on the Lord's side, come over here. They came over here that, yeah, we shouldn't have done that, right? And then what did Moses say, even after that, he said, there's still atonement that needs to be made. So people do this all the time. They go to church or they hear the Bible or they run into a circumstance and they feel bad about it and they know they shouldn't have done it and they think that equates forgiveness of sin. The Bible never says that, okay? The Bible doesn't say, feel bad about your sin and you'll have eternal life. Like I felt bad, I was thinking today about stupid things I did well, I still do stupid things. I don't want you to like, think I stopped, but like some really stupid ones in my past lying and stuff like that. And I was feeling terrible about them. Right. That doesn't make them go away. It doesn't atone for them. Like there's confession and repentance and asking for forgiveness from the Lord. So if you're in this crowd, there's this weird dynamic happening. Right. Because we're part of this community And we're all in the same boat, but we all have to go to God on our own. Moses comes back, he's like, I can't make a deal for you. And so what's that mean? Like, we're all connected in that we all know we need the same thing. We all have to go deal with God on our own sin, but we're all on a level playing field. Like, we all need the exact same thing, which is what ties us together, right? Right. So that's where we end Exodus chapter 32. And the takeaway is, if you're the people of Israel in the story, I got to go meet with God and handle my business. And the person sitting next to me also has to go meet with God and handle their business. And the person on the other side of them also has to go meet with God and handle their business. So like I said, we're part of this community that all needs the same thing. We received of his kindness. We heard his covenant. We all sinned against the Lord. So we all have that in common. And then we also have to go deal with him individually. We're all in the same boat. We're individuals who need to meet with God, but we're connected as a community because we're all the people of God. We all need the same exact thing. Confession, repentance, forgiveness, and atonement. Okay, that's it. That's Exodus 32. Now we're gonna step into this new thing. It's not that new. It's actually super old. People have been doing it for a long time, but we've never done it here. Did you all get a paper? Okay. You can read the paper or you can listen to me. I don't care, either one. Here's what I said last week. I asked the question, what if we built a church service around how we actually believe God works. Like not just what we've always done, not things that we've been a part of, not things that we felt good about, but when we read the scriptures, how do we see God actually working? And this is a clear story in our Bible that we just read of how God actually works. He works like this in a community of individuals who need to meet with him as individuals. So let's do that. Let's be a community, a group of individuals who go meet with God, who here, we're, we came today not to be entertained, not to be like, hey, we got something to do for an hour and a half, but like, let's actually meet with God. We all need the same thing, So, and it's not entertainment, so let's actually meet with God. So stick with me for a second. A couple weeks ago, we were talking about the idea that in Exodus, God was building the tabernacle to dwell among people and so that he could meet with and speak to his people. Do you remember that? Like that's what the tabernacle was for. I'm going to dwell among my people so I can meet with them and speak to them. And then we did a little side journey about what it meant for God to actually meet with and speak to his people. And we ended up in Isaiah 55. Do you remember that? And the reason we ended up there is because when Jesus came on the scene, he said, this is what it looks like for God to meet with and speak to his people. And he said, my father's house shall be called a house of prayer, Prayer." Prayer, not concerts. Anyway, right. He said, my father's house shall be a house of prayer. Jesus said, it is written My father's house shall be called a house where God meets with his people, which he had a word for, and it was prayer. So we're going to meet with God this morning. We are going to pray. And because we are a community of people who all need to meet with God, we are going to pray for one another. Okay. Now we're not just going to make something up. Okay. Sometimes you get to a place where like we're going to pray and everybody's like, uh, I actually hate that. I'm a pastor of a church. I hate that. It's like, I'm sitting next to somebody. I don't know if I want to tell them anything. They probably don't want to tell me anything. Right. I'm not socially like super into like talking to people I don't know all the time. Right. So it's like, okay. And then on top of all of it, we both have to pray for another and like make something up on like good things to say. Like, we're not doing any of that this morning, okay? We're gonna start here. You have in your hand a little folder that we put together. It's a model of prayer that we're gonna call the blessing prayer, okay? I have a a little table. Do you see that? It might be on the first page on the left, right? You open it. It's on the left. There's a little table. And like I said earlier, what if we acted according to the ways that we believe God actually works in the scriptures, okay? Not just ways we're comfortable with, ways we see God actually working. So the first one is, we see God actually working through people praying for one another. James 5.16 is pretty like clear. Pray for one another, okay? So we're gonna pray for one another and the model we're gonna use is this one right here called the blessing prayer. Okay, move down to the second thing. We are going to touch one another, okay? That sounded way worse than I meant it to sound, okay? We're going to lay our hands on each other, on the shoulder, okay? Right? This is super like unoffensive. We're not going back. We're not like power move to the chest, right? We're not doing like on the head, right? And then some people pray like that. It's a little culty. We're not going to do that, okay? We're just going to put your hand on the shoulder of the person you're praying for, okay? So if you're being prayed for, the person's going to put their hand on your shoulder. Don't freak out. If you're praying for someone, put your hand on their shoulder. That's all we're going to do, okay? We're doing this because we believe that God desires to meet with us, right? Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon his while he he is near. Okay, so if we believe that God wants to meet with us, then we need to invite him to be a part of that. Not necessarily because he's like just waiting for an invitation. Although the Bible says he's knocking, you need to open the door, right? So you do need to invite him in, but it's kind of an acknowledgement of our hearts. God, we invite you into this moment. Right? Holy Spirit, we want you to be here. God, we recognize you desire to meet with us. Okay? Then we're going to wait. Sometimes uh, we don't realize God wants to speak to us. And sometimes it's hard for him to speak to us because we won't stop talking when we pray. Right? It's not just about us talking all the time. We're going to wait for a second. Okay? Okay? Then we're going to, number four, we're going to bless what God is already doing in the other person. Okay, I'm going to work through this and then I'm going to give you an example. If you're like, ah, I'm going to have to do this. I'm going to humbly ask you to ask the Lord if he wants you to do this. Okay, so we're going to ask for God's blessing on what he's already doing in the other person. The, The fundamental belief of the Christian is God is always working before we know about it right? If he's a great initiator, then he's already doing something that you don't know about. So if you're like, I don't know if God's working. He is, right? Maybe you don't know about it or haven't experienced it in the way that you feel great about, but he is. So we're going to ask him to bless what he's doing, and then we're going to ask for more of it because we believe he's giving and kind. The Bible tells them that, right? There's all these prayers in the New Testament that Paul prays as he writes these epistles, like Ephesians. Fill them with the fullness of God. Or in Thessalonians, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow. He's always asking for more of what the Lord is already doing. You can go through Philippians, Colossians, any of these epistles. He has a prayer in there where he's asking for more of what God is already doing. So we're going to do the same thing. Then we're going to wait for a minute. And we're going to ask, Lord, is there something specific you want me to pray for this person? Just give it a moment of silence. 20 seconds, 45 seconds, a minute. Lord, is there something you want me to pray for this person? So if you're the one praying for the person, that's what you're going to ask. Lord, what do you want me to pray for this person? Okay, and just listen. Give them space to move on your heart. Bible says, if you lack wisdom, ask, right? He gives generously. If God puts something on your heart to pray, pray it, okay? Just pray it. Lord, I just feel like my brother Ben needs encouragement right now. And I don't know what's going on in his life, but I just pray you encourage him. Lord, I, I pray for my sister Haley. Uh, I, just, I just feel like she needs your joy right now. I don't know why I feel that, but I just feel like that. Pray it. And then we're going to finish with a prayer of blessing, okay? On the right-hand side of your little booklet, these are examples. You could take this booklet home. I expect you to take it home. You don't have to throw it away. But uh, we're all going to use the top one, okay? So the top one says this. Lord, bless my brother or sister, right? So if I'm praying for Ben, Lord, bless my brother. Keep him. Lord, make your face shine upon him and be gracious to him. Cause him to know that you see him and give him peace. Amen. Okay? So, that's it. That's our model. We're all going to do that for somebody else here. Okay. So go to the back page of your booklet. This makes me uncomfortable and I don't want to do it. Yeah, me too. Me too. The way that God actually works in the scripture is by a thing called faith. Now, some of you are on the other end of this and you're like, I've been waiting for this. Like, let me at them, right? It's like, you need to follow the model too, right? We're not going to wait 45 minutes for you to finish your exhortation, okay? So, but for most of us, this is not something we are used to doing when we come to a church service. Right, and it's gonna be a little uncomfortable, and this is what it means to walk by faith. Right, there is some risk and surrender always involved by walking by faith. If there's no risk and no surrender, it's not faith. It's something else. It's shopping. Right, I have five dollars. I'll pay five dollars. Right, I have the means to supply what I need. Is not faith. Right, faith is when God. I don't. mm, Okay, guys. So this is a chance, an opportunity for you to step into risk and surrender in a way that is uncommon for most people who come to church. And you're uncomfortable. The person who you're praying for is not going to judge you, right? Because they know, ah, yeah, this is something that's a little bit different, right? Everybody knows we're stepping into faith, right? All you have to do is follow the headings. And it's, it's not actually that crazy at all, okay? So, This is, if you feel uncomfortable, welcome to the club. That's normal, expected, and that's very good, okay? If we're gonna see God work in our church, it's going to involve the individuals stepping out in faith in risk and surrender. So maybe you start the prayer actually before you even pray for a person and you say, Lord, help me do this because I really don't feel like doing this this morning. That's actually a great place to be. Second one, I got an excuse, Jared. I shouldn't pray for anybody because my life is a wreck. And I got all these things that I don't have in a row. So I am disqualified for praying for somebody. You're right. If you open your Bible, it says only people who got their crap together can pray. (laughs) It doesn't say that. In fact, if you know you don't have it all together, you are the exact type of person we want praying. That's a posture of humility. That's a posture of submission. That's a posture of just knowing you need the Lord so deeply. And those are the kinds of people we want praying for us. Who wants to know-it-all who's got his life perfect praying for them? God, I don't struggle with this, but my brother Jared probably does because he kind of sucks, right? It's like... No, let's have somebody with some empathy and some compassion and some grace and some kindness and some fruit of the spirit praying for, Lord, we know how hard it is. If you're struggling this morning, you are the exact type of person who should be praying for somebody else because you know how hard life is. My wife asked me this one, we were we were talking about this this week, and it was like, there's going to be people there, Jared, who had a terrible week, it's negative 100 million degrees outside, and you're going to pray for more? Like, hey, God, I know they had an awful week, pray for more. Well... I don't know what God is doing through that difficulty, but I do know that they showed up to a church who is starting to step into ways that we see the Bible actually working through Scripture. So through his people. So they came to church and they're having somebody at church pray for them individually. Like that's a great start. So ask for more of that. Okay, maybe they did have a terrible week. Maybe they never want a week like that again. But here is a turning point as the community of believers who need the Holy Spirit to save them from their sins are coming together and somebody is laying hands on one another and praying like the Bible actually teaches. Maybe this is the starting point of the thing we're asking for more of. God may be working behind the scenes through that difficulty in ways that person has no idea about. That's what we're asking for more of. Not necessarily... Uh, hey, have more of a crappy week. Okay, does that make sense? How do I know if God gave me something to pray? That's, I'm a little worried about five, six, seven in there, right? Like wait, asking for God. Well, if God has something that he wants you to pray, he has your number, he will put it on your heart, right? If you're not sure if it's from God, go through the ABCs, advocate. Does it sound like you're for the person and not against them? That's what an advocate is. Like I'm for you. Like, like we're uplifting, we're upbuilding, we're strengthening. It's not like, like save the woe to you, Chorazan, for another time of prayer, okay? But it's not like a hey, repentance in it. Like, we're not doing that, okay? Is this uplifting? Is this upbuilding? That's the type of prayer. This is why it's called a blessing prayer. That's mostly the type of prayer we see for people who are seeking the Lord in the scriptures. B is it biblical? So advocate, biblical. Right? does this match up with what you know of scripture? Some people are like, I don't know all the Bible, so I'm not gonna say it because it might be a heresy somewhere. No, 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 what your understanding of scripture is, does that match up? That's good enough for me, okay? You can ask questions about that later. And then Christ-like, can you picture Jesus saying this, right, can you picture Jesus saying that? Run it through that filter real quick. I don't even care if you read this. We're gonna have a time of silence so the person you're praying for won't even know, right? You can, re- oh yeah, yeah, okay, I'm praying this for that person. What if I do it wrong? Who's worried about doing this wrong? Two of you are honest, the rest of you are liars. Okay. The weird thing about this is we hold uh, some sort of spiritual gifts to like higher standards than everything else. Hey, I just felt like God wanted me to pray for your tractor, Ben, and so I pray for his tractor, and he's like, My tractor's fine. Nobody died. It's okay. If you have the attitude of humility when you do that, you're fine. Okay? We're trying something that we haven't done before. It's okay to get it wrong a little bit. Right? Have an attitude of humility. I think the Lord might want me to pray for this. Right? If you get off into the area of God told me to tell you, yeah, then then we're going to have a problem. Nobody should be saying, God told me to tell you. Like, I feel like maybe God's putting this on my heart to pray. Pray it in faith. Again, risk its part of faith, right? If you feel something on your heart, pray it for the person, okay? Last thing, this is not an interrogation, okay? Part of the reason we feel like we hate having to pray for one another, I'm sorry, I put that on you, this is all on me. Part of the reason I feel like I hate having to pray for somebody when it's unannounced and out of nowhere is because I either have to interrogate a person or I have to be interrogated. None of this is interrogation. Right? You, I don't have to ask you anything to pray for you. If, if I come to pray for you and you just want to, like, share a little bit about what's going on, like, yeah, I'm having a hard time and, you know, this and that, that's fine. You're allowed to do that. Hey, I have a situation with my husband. I'm, we're not really sure or I just need strength or I'm just really sad or it's just been really cold and I'm worried about heat. That's fine. You can share a little bit about this, but this is not interrogation. Nobody's going to expect you to answer a ton of questions. They don't need you to answer a ton of questions to pray for you, okay? Also, that avoids the thing where we tell person not only what's going on, what to pray for, but how God can answer our prayer. Okay, we should avoid that. I know that Christians, we do it a lot, but it's like, oh, my uncle's having a hard time, so pray for his healing. So, or you could just say, my uncle's having a hard time. Pray for that situation. And then we pray for God's will in that, right? Sometimes we do that. We tell the person how to pray. And like, we're not doing that because we want to tell God what to do. We want to invite God and be a part of what he's doing. Amen? Okay. So, worship team's going to come on up. Everybody else is going to pray for one another. And this is not going to be like, overly serious. You don't have to be super, everybody's trying this for the first time. We've never done this at Riverstone Chapel before. So if like, I don't know what I'm doing, nobody knows what they're doing. This is day one for everybody, right? There can be laughing, right? There can be smiling. They could be, I messed this up. They can be like, you know, you're holding your booklet and you're like, hold on, number three. Um, some of you are going to pray for somebody else for the first time today. That is going to be incredible, Some of you are going to be prayed for by a person in your church for the very first time today. That is going to be incredible, right? We need to be the body of Christ. There are people in this church who came this morning, who God brought on purpose, and they just needed to know that somebody else, that God put on somebody else's heart to fight for them in prayer. You have no idea what's going on in their lives, and you're not going to interrogate them, so you maybe never will. But the Holy Spirit does, and that person just needs a hand on their shoulder and a a message from the Holy Spirit. I, I have people in your world who will fight for you if you will walk by faith. Some of that is submitting yourself and surrendering to allowing somebody else to pray for you. Sometimes that's uncomfortable, right? Which is why we're going to stick with this script today, if that's okay. This is a trust thing. There's a ton of different people in here. We don't want to go outside of this and break trust. Okay, so there's not a 45-minute prayer deal, right? This is eight points. You could probably make it through those in a minute or two would be my guess. And then maybe ask someone else. Maybe look around the room. Lord, is there somebody else I can pray for? Here's what I want you to ask the Lord right now. Lord, is this something you're calling me to? And if you don't get a no, then you're doing it. That's that's what I usually say, right? God knows your number. He'll close the doors if he doesn't want to. If you just feel uncomfortable, that means faith. If you just feel like you don't want to do it, that still means faith, right? None of those are reasons to not pray for somebody or be prayed for, okay? So let's pray. Ask the Lord to be here. Ask the Lord to meet with us. And then we're going to pray for you.